Welcome to the Timberlake Christian School podcast. Timberlake Christian School, founded in 1966, is a ministry of Timberlake Baptist Church. Our vision is to be a discipleship and educational institution for young people in order to develop them in a passion for glorifying God and train them for a life consistent with a biblical world and life view. For more information, check out our website at timberlakechristianschool.org. Go Tornadoes! Take out your Bible. It's kind of weird being in the bleachers, I know, but I think it'll be good. Actually, kind of interesting because I feel like I can even see everybody more. Oh, that's kind of scary. Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 12. Philippians 1, verse 12. Everybody there? lots of Bibles. It's good. All right. Philippians 1, verse 12. The Apostle Paul is writing. It's been a a little while since we've, we've heard from the Apostle Paul. All right. Here we go. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Can you turn my lapel down just a little bit? The mic down just a little bit? Yep. Good. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Verse 17. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the unique opportunity you've given us today to take a break from where we've been in Genesis 1-3 through and to consider these words here at the beginning of this letter to the Philippian church from the Apostle Paul. God, I'm convinced that if these students will, will grab on to what Paul is saying here and internalize it and live for it, Lord, that, that their lives would be changed, that they would experience great joy, 
And God, moreover, that you would use them mightily for your glory and for the sake of Christ. God, we want to be all about Jesus. We want to live for him. We want to die for him. And Lord, I pray that today, as we look at your word, that you would, you would speak, God, that I wouldn't say anything, but that you would say what you want to say. And Lord, that you would be pleased by our study. And God, I pray that your spirit might work in the hearts of these students, God, to turn their attention to Jesus and the, the excellent beauties and incredible wonder that are found in him. Lord, we thank you, um, Lord, that you can do that. In Jesus' name, amen. In the South Pacific Ocean, okay, there's a chain of 80 islands, and these islands used to be known as the New Hebrides. And today, these islands make up a nation, and the nation's called Vanuatu, okay? On November 19th, 1839, two missionaries from the London Missionary Society, their names were John Harris and John Williams, they landed on one of these islands. The name of the island was Aromanga. And they were intent on sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with the native people. Good endeavor, right? They're going to land there on this island. They're going to reach the people for Christ. So they landed. The next day they went ashore. Just a few minutes after these two men, John Harris and John Williams, went on the shore, they were attacked with clubs by the natives, killed, and then eaten by the islanders as part of a sacred ritual. It's a pretty crazy story, right? If you heard that, let's say that news just came out, that these people had gone to this island for the sake of Christ, and then they were eaten by the tribes. Would that make you want to go? Would that make you say, yeah, okay, this is a great vacation spot. Let's cancel the Disney trip. We're going to Aramanga. Probably wouldn't want to do that, right? And so you can imagine how appalled and upset Many people were in Glasgow, Scotland, when a particularly promising young minister, whose name was John G. Payton, very promising, had a very prominent ministry, tons of people were coming to his Bible studies. This young minister, John Payton, announces that he feels called to leave for mission work in the New Hebrides. In his autobiography, Payton gives this account of this one dear old Christian gentleman, he calls him, and this guy would always look at Peyton and try to convince him not to go. And Peyton says his crowning argument was, he would simply say, the cannibals. You will be eaten by cannibals. Listen to how Peyton responded to this guy. Everybody listen. His name was Mr. Dixon. John Peyton said, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now. And your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave. And there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. It makes no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms. That's a, that's a response, right? That's, a, that's an intense response. And John Payton went on to devote the rest of his life to these islands, the New Hebrides. He faced tremendous difficulties while he was there, including the death of his first wife and his newborn son, numerous attacks from the natives. He gave stories of guns and knives held to his face many times. 
And the first island he landed at, he narrowly escaped from there with his life. But God used Peyton in remarkable ways. Many, many people in the New Hebrides came to faith in Christ. In fact, the majority of the second island he ministered at became Christians. He said he claimed it for Christ. And the majority of them went from cannibals to Christ followers. And the church in Vanuatu is still thriving today. There's still an active church there today because of what men like John Payton did there for the sake of the gospel. That story from church history, I think, is a great introduction not only to the text in Philippians we're going to look at today, but to today's chapel in general, right? It's Spirit Week. You guys are all in green, and it's not St. Patrick's Day, right? We're here for Spirit Week, and it's a time of school spirit, a time to celebrate our community together. But I think it's also a time that we can use to reflect, to think about why we do what we do here at Timberlake Christian School. We've been around for almost 57 years trying to provide Christian education. I mean, that's a long time. Why do we do what we do? Why do we go through all the trouble to keep this school going? Right? We've all read the neon sign in the lobby, right? We want to educate with the biblical worldview. We want to disciple towards Christ-likeness. But why? Why? Uh, to put it more generally, maybe taking a step back, if we call ourselves Christians, what are some core principles that should guide all that we do? Including being part of a Christian school. What should drive us? What should be our default operating mode? One thing that stands out about John Payton, right, in that story, when this man's trying to convince him, you're going to be eaten by cannibals. Payton knew what he was about. He didn't care what that man had to say. He knew what he stood for and what he was willing to die for. And so for us, we need to figure out what our foundational convictions are. What is going to drive you for the rest of your life. At the end of the day, what should we be about? Both as a school and in our own lives, even after you leave TCS. What should your life be about? And that question brings us to Philippians 1. In this chapter, Philippians 1, we get a glimpse into what drove the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians who ever lived. We can see here, in this chapter, some of his driving convictions, what he stands for. One commentator I read compared the verses we're going to read today to a soliloquy. All right, somebody impress your English teacher. What's a soliloquy? Does anybody know? No? Maybe? Somebody knows, but they don't want to say. Right? It's not like a monologue. A dictionary, just a dictionary definition, says a soliloquy is a poem, discourse, or utterance of a character in a drama that has the form of a monologue or gives the illusion of being a series of unspoken reflections. Okay, so a, a soliloquy is really just when a character speaks to himself or herself. And, and in their speaking to themselves, you can get some insight into what they're thinking and what's driving them, right? Think Hamlet. Okay, I know you guys read, you guys read a lot of you guys read Macbeth recently, right? Is that right, Macbeth? Okay, think in Hamlet, right? The to be or not to be, that is the question. That's a famous soliloquy. And of course, Paul here is writing to the Philippians. This isn't a true soliloquy, but we get an insight here in Philippians 1 into how Paul thinks and what Paul's about. 
and what Paul cares for most. All right, we're going to start in the second half of verse 18. Guys, look at your Bibles. Right, look at your Bible. Look at the second half of verse 18. Paul says, yes, this is the ESV I'm reading, yes, and I will rejoice. Joy here is a huge theme in Philippians. It's used repeatedly throughout the book. For my count, the noun is, formed, is used five times. The verb is used nine times. Paul's rejoicing, though, throughout Philippians, takes on a whole different flavor. Hey guys, look this way. When you realize that Paul is writing this letter from prison. I started reading from verse 12 earlier to hopefully help you catch that. Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians from prison. So how could Paul rejoice even in the midst of imprisonment? All right, look at verse 19 in your Bible. Look at verse 19. Paul says that he knows something. He says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. There's some debate over what that word deliverance means here. Is it just that Paul will be acquitted at a trial after his imprisonment and he'll be free? Or is this referring to eternal salvation in heaven with Christ forever, right? I think possibly it could refer to either. Uh, Paul knows that one way or the other, he will be delivered. And just as a side note, note that Paul ties his future deliverance with both the prayers of the Philippians for him and the help of the Holy Spirit. The prayers of the Philippians and the help of the Holy Spirit. Prayer is super vital. Prayer is, is something that Paul leans on here. Hey guys, let me say something really quick, okay? Just as a note, this is, I understand we have to go to the restroom, but seriously consider before you leave if it's worth the trip. Do you hear me? Seriously consider that. If you really have to go, go. But we could be distracting others. So let's try as best as we can to focus in. We've got this time. It's not that long. Let's focus in on the Word, okay? So I'm just throwing that out there. Think about whether it's worth it to distract somebody else from, from hearing what the Lord might have to say. All right. So Paul is rejoicing. He's leaning on their prayers, the God-given help of the Holy Spirit. He knows that his imprisonment will turn out for deliverance one way or the other. And then in verse 20, Paul ties his knowledge of future deliverance to what he says is his eager expectation and hope, look at your Bibles, of two things. His eager expectation of hope and hope of two things. First, Paul says here that he will not be at all ashamed. He will not be at all ashamed. In verse 16 of chapter 1, Paul has said that he was put in prison for the defense of the gospel. For the defense of the gospel. So I think Paul's saying here that he's going to stand firm in the end for the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has come to do in dying and rising again until the end. And that leads to the second thing that Paul eagerly expects and hopes for. He says that with full courage, or boldness we could translate it, with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in his body. The word translated honored could also be translated something like exalted, or shown to be great, or magnified. Paul is confident that even in his imprisonment, listen to this, he will be used to magnify Jesus Christ, to make much of him. And note the stark terms Paul then gives at the end of the verse. Look at the end of verse 20. 
He says, Christ will be magnified no matter what. This will turn out for my deliverance. And then he says, whether by life or by death. Think about that. Paul says, even in prison, that he can rejoice because he knows that through the prayers of the Philippians and others praying for him, through the help of the Spirit, this will turn out for his deliverance. He will be delivered. And so he has a confident, hopeful expectation that he will not be ashamed and instead will boldly be used to magnify how great Jesus is, no matter what happens. So again, I told you we're looking at Paul's driving convictions. What does Paul care about here? What matters most to Paul here? Do you see it? Look at your Bibles. What's his greatest concern? Can somebody tell me? What does Paul care about most here in these verses? Caleb Bryant. That the gospel gets preached. That the gospel gets preached? That's great. What else? He says that Christ will be what? What is that? Honored in his body, right? Ian, what were you going to say? Magnified. Magnified, yeah. What matters to Paul most is that Jesus Christ will be made much of. Jesus Christ will be shown to be as great and wonderful as he is. Paul's great aspiration is simply to bring praise and renown to the name of Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't care whether he lives or he dies. Instead, he simply wants his existence to bring renown and praise to Jesus. Because God has saved Paul from the wrath he deserves, through Jesus' death and resurrection, Paul is confident that God will use him for his glory in this display of how amazing and wonderful Jesus is. And Paul, in knowing that Jesus will be exalted through his life, that Jesus will be magnified, Paul finds great and enduring joy. And that leads to verse 21. Look at your Bible. Verse 21. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. If you come to my office, it's hanging on my wall. The English of the verse doesn't really do it justice. We add in verbs, so it makes more sense to us. But the Greek is really, really just boom, boom, boom. So if you were to literally translate it, this is how it would read. It says, for to me, to live, Christ. To die, gain. To live, Christ, and to die, gain. One commentator I read said that Paul's own heartbeat are heard in the rhythm of these words. Paul's own heartbeats are heard in the rhythm of these words. Paul has just said that Christ will be magnified whether he lives or he dies. And Paul now reflects on living and dying, and in so doing, Paul lays out his fundamental view of who he is and what he's about as somebody who has been saved by the blood of Jesus. So what does he say? First, Paul says that living is Christ. To live, Christ. Every bit of Paul's existence, every bit of who he is, is defined and should be defined by Jesus. Right? Galatians 2.20. I hope you know the verse. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. For Paul, every new day on the earth was a day to be used for the sake of Jesus. And to be clear, 
Paul didn't think he has it all figured out or that he's perfect yet. You can look at Philippians 3 to see that. But Paul strove to live every moment for the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ defined his life. In the very next verse, look at verse 22. Paul says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. So he's defining living as Christ, and he uses this word fruitful labor. So to be clear, this is work. This is work that Paul is setting out on doing. Living as Christ is work here. Paul is giving his life to serve Jesus and trust that the Lord will bring fruit from that work if he so wills. So what does that work look like for Paul? What is Paul going to do if he's living as Christ, if living is Christ? Well, we've already mentioned one aspect, right? Earlier in the chapter, Paul is called to proclaim and defend the gospel the incredible good news of all that God has done for sinners in Jesus. All believers are called to do that. We can see that later in verse 27 of this chapter. In obedience to the Great Commission, we are called to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth, like John Payton. And this was certainly part of the fruitful labor that Paul had in mind here in verse 21. But another aspect is told for us in verse 25. Look at that verse real quick. Verse 25. We're jumping ahead a little bit. But Paul says that he will remain and continue with the Philippian believers for their progress and joy in the faith. So in other words, hey guys, look this way. Paul not only wants to share the gospel with others, but Paul wants to help those who have trusted in Christ grow. Colossians 1.28, we talked about it last year. Paul says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And, and I, would, I would not be doing you, you any favors if I didn't mention to you that Paul's view of them growing and maturing in Christ happens here within the context of a local church. This letter is written to a church. Philippians 1.1, Paul says he's writing to the saints at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Those are the two officers in the church. He's writing to a local church congregation. And Paul wants to come alongside this local church to encourage it and strengthen it. And so for Paul, right... His life, continuing to live, simply meant giving everything he had in service to Christ, both in the proclamation of the gospel and in the strengthening of the church. All right, so Paul says living is Christ. Secondly, Paul says that dying is gain. Dying is gain. As strange as it sounds, death brings an advantage to Paul. Does that sound weird? Death brings an advantage to Paul. Look at verse 23. Verse 23. Paul says, My desire, this is the second half of the verse, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. For Paul, dying simply meant entering into the presence of his Savior. Dying meant getting to perfectly magnify Christ forever, to perfectly experience all the wonders of the beauty of the Lord. And what's more, if Paul dies for the sake of the gospel, Paul will, in a sort of climactic way, exalt Jesus through his death and share in suffering alongside Christ. So Paul says here in verse 23 that death then for him, in many ways, is much much. The Greek is really emphatic. It's much, much better than life. All right, listen, Paul is not suicidal. That's not what's going on here. 
Remember, Paul is rejoicing. He's not depressed. Instead, he just has a proper perspective of death in light of all that Jesus has done for him. And so Paul, in this passage, has some indecision. Look at verses 22 and 23. Paul says, Yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. Which I shall choose I cannot tell. Life or death, I'm hard pressed between the two. I don't think Paul actually has a choice. It's not like Paul actually can say, all right, I'm going to live or I'm going to die. Paul is just saying what he's trying to get down to what he ultimately would prefer. Life meant fruitful labor for the sake of Christ. Death meant entering into the presence of Christ. For Paul, both of those are good options. And Paul says here, though, that his desire, even amidst his not knowing which he will choose, he says his desire is to be with Christ. Dying is the better option for Paul personally. But look at verse 24. Look at your Bibles, guys. Verse 24. Paul says, But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul's preference is to die, to depart, and to be with Christ. And yet, Paul says he would choose to continue on for the sake of the Philippian believers. These these believers in this city of Philippi. In verse 25, look at your Bibles again. Paul says he's convinced the, this, that that's the best option, and so he knows that he will retain, remain and continue with the Philippian believers for their progress and joy in the faith. We already talked about that, right? Let's look at verse 26. Paul gives further explanation. Look at verse 26. Paul says, So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus, because of my coming to you again. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And Paul's, uh, Paul is saying here, this word glory that he's using, it's translated that way in the ESV, it can also be translated boast. Paul wants the Philippian believers to boast in Christ, to be confident in Christ, to make much of Christ, to honor Christ. If we were to translate it literally, Paul would say here, in order that your boasting might abound in Christ Jesus in me through my coming to you. Your boasting might abound in Christ Jesus in me. In Paul's coming against the Philippians, he, he knows that's the best option. He thinks, he trusts that that's what the Lord's going to have him do, that he's going to return to them. Paul says that his hope here is not that they're going to boast in him. Again, Paul knows that his life is not about him. Paul's life is not all about Paul. Rather, Paul wants his visit to the Philippian believers to lead them to boast and glory in Christ. Paul's like a conduit, like a channel for glory just to go to Jesus Christ. Paul lives to magnify Jesus. And so anything good that Paul accomplishes will lead others to glory and boast in Jesus. I know I keep saying the same things over and over again, but that's what Paul's saying here. Paul wants to lift Jesus high. And so Paul was ready to lay down his preference to depart and be with Christ for the sake of the Philippian believers so that they might boast all the more in Christ. All right, so, so what was the Apostle Paul all about? I told you that was our question, right? What drove him? What were his deepest convictions? What, what defined his life? Well, first, hey guys, look this way. I'm, I'm wrapping up. 
First, he was convinced that the purpose of his life was to make much of Jesus Christ, no matter what happened to him. And so living for Paul meant laboring for Christ. And dying for Paul meant getting to be with Christ. Which meant that as long as Paul continued to live, he would strive to be a conduit, to be a channel, to be just simply used so that other people might glory and boast and magnify Christ. He knew, in Philippians 3 it says, he knew the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. So what, what's, what's the word I keep saying over and over again, right? Christ. Paul's life was all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything he did was driven by Jesus. And that might sound cliche, like the Sunday school answer, but I'm telling you, what Paul's saying here is profound. His, his outlook, his perspective, what drove him here well, is, is, is huge. To Paul's great gladness and joy, every aspect of his existence was governed by and permeated with the reality of Jesus' ownership over him. All right, so what? I told you I'm wrapping up. So what? What does that mean for us? Let me start with the teachers, with me. What does that mean for us as teachers and staff here at TCF? If Paul's driving conviction is Jesus, making much of Jesus, laboring for Jesus, dying for Jesus, if that's, all that, that's what's driving him, well, for teachers, staff, what that means for us is that we have an incredible opportunity here, right? Here at TCS. Not only do we get to provide an education for our students, but we are able to help our students grow in knowing Christ. Every, every bit of our day, we have the opportunity to labor for Christ here at TCS in a very unique way. So I would ask our teachers, including myself, are you using your role here to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that what is defining the way you view your job? Is that defining the way that I view my job? Do our students glory in Jesus because of us? That's a question that we should ask ourselves. How, how defined is that for us? And again, that's a challenge to me. We have a huge, God-given, joy-filled responsibility in front of us. And, and we can seize it. We can do our jobs with excellence in every single bit of what we do because we want to magnify Christ and point our students to Christ. And so for the students, what does that mean for you guys? Well, what I'd ask is, does your version of Christianity, listen to me, does your version of Christianity match up with what the Apostle Paul models here in Philippians 1? Is your version of following Jesus anything like Paul's version here in Philippians 1, living as Christ and dying as gain? Are you living your life right now with a central driving aim to magnify Jesus Christ? Or is your central driving aim just to have fun and do whatever you want? Does Christ define your life? Here at school, at home, in sports, at work, with friends, when you are alone? And I'd ask too, for some of you in high school, what are your plans for the future? John Payton felt called to ministry as young as 12 years old and set up his life so that he could serve these people. What, what are your plans like? Are you simply looking for whatever job will pay you the most money? Or 
Are you seeking, and again, not, maybe not as a full-time missionary in any career field, are you seeking to maximize the rest of your life for the sake of the gospel? Living for what matters most. Have you thought about that? And then one last word here. I know there are students in this room who don't know Christ. And everything that I've said today just sounds like a bunch of hogwash and you wish I'd stop talking. That's okay. I love you, care about you, and I'm, doing the, I'm, I'm giving you the word because it's what's best for you. But I would say to you, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, or maybe you're, you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, but you're still listening, you're interested, there are those people too. Praise God. Praise God for you. Or, or maybe, maybe you say you're a Christian, but you're looking at this text now, and you're like, man, my version of Christianity isn't anything like that. I remember when I was in high school, I had a moment when, when that happened to me, and I realized I was still trying to plan my own life and my own future. And I had to come to grips with the fact that if I was saved by the blood of Christ, then Jesus was my master and he owned me. Paul says here at the beginning of Philippians that he is Christ's slave. Christ can do with me as he wants. And I still have to battle things within me every day to try to live that way. We all do. But have you even gotten that perspective? And so I would say if you don't know Christ or you don't know that you know Christ, listen. You are a sinner. You deserve God's eternal wrath in hell. That's the truth. And yet out of love, God sent His Son Jesus to live the perfect life you couldn't live, to die a sacrificial death in your place and rise again. And if you will turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ, you will find forgiveness and eternal life. And what's more, God will use your life to magnify Jesus. Your life will be defined by Jesus, and you won't have to be afraid of death any longer. Because death for you will be gain. The joy-filled, blessed life, listen guys, is only found in Jesus Christ. I'm going to close just with a quote from another missionary. Anybody heard of Jim Elliott before? Maybe? Jim Elliott? On January 8, 1956, Jim Elliott was killed along with four other missionary co-workers by an Ecuadorian tribe they were attempting to reach with the gospel. And you should look up his story. Even his, his wife who, who lived beyond him, Elizabeth Elliott, uh, lots of good things there. Um, but seven years before his martyrdom, Jim Elliott wrote this phrase in his journal. Listen to this. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Listen to that. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I'm going to read it one more time. Everybody look this way. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Like John Payton, Jim Elliott knew what he lived for. Like the Apostle Paul, Christ. His life was defined by Christ. And he knew that there was nothing in this world that compares to Christ. And my prayer is that we as a school would get that same vision and live that way. And we might produce many, many, many disciples of Jesus used for his glory all over the world for the sake of his gospel. Let me pray. Lord God, I, I pray for these students. Lord, I know in many ways this, this is a hard text looking at how the Apostle Paul lived, we were tempted to say, man, but that was Paul. You know, he was, he was an apostle. He, he saw the risen Lord Jesus. You know, how can that be me? 
Lord, to have a life defined by Christ, to know that dying is gain, Lord, what would that mean for us if we really caught these convictions that Paul has here? That we would, in everything that we do, just try to make much of Jesus, to magnify Jesus, to make his gospel known, to, to live for his church. Lord, what would, what would happen if, if our, our aim in our interactions with others was that through how we speak to them, how we talk to them, that they would make much of Jesus Christ? Lord, this is so convicting to me. God, I confess there are so many failures in my life that I can see right now. Areas that I am not measuring up in. Ways that I'm not spending my time well, even at home, at school. I mean, different places. Lord, I pray that you would refine me. Help me to catch decisions. That living is Christ and dying is gain. And God, I pray that you might use these students for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.